welcome to the Philadelphia Channel, spotlighting the innovators making meaningful impact throughout the region across a wide range of collaborative and creative fields, including philanthropy, education, technology, family life, social entrepreneurship, advocacy of the arts, and more. Here's your host, Robert Rim. Opera Philadelphia is committed to embracing innovation in developing opera for the 21st century. Their mission is to deliver outstanding productions of traditional and new repertoire that engage the public and propel the genre forward. They also identify extraordinary artists, both established and emerging, and provide opportunities for them to create their most imaginative and inspired work. By presenting innovative programming relevant to the multicultural Philadelphia region, they broaden and diversify the opera audience. David Devan joined Opera Philadelphia in 2006 and was appointed its general director and president five years later. Since his arrival, he's worked closely with its board and administration on strategic planning initiatives and building partnerships within both the community and the opera world. David guided the company through a transformative period of innovation that led Opera News to describe it as one of the leading instigators of new work in the country and, from the New York Times, as a hotbed of operatic innovation. Under his leadership and artistic vision, Opera Philadelphia has grown to become a company of international stature and a favorite co-producing partner with companies all over the globe, developing fresh productions of classic works, as well as premieres written by today's leading composers. The company established the annual Festival O in 2017, launching each season with an immersive 12-day festival featuring multiple operatic events and venues throughout the city. Under David's leadership, Opera Philadelphia has commissioned or co-commissioned 14 new operas with a vibrant slate ahead. He continues to work tirelessly to make opera a central part of our community. David, welcome to the Philadelphia Channel. Well, thank you, and I'm blushing. Well, tell us about your initial experiences with opera uh, and the catalyst for you to pursue a career in arts administration. I'm a joint citizen. I'm a Canadian and U.S. citizen, became an American citizen a number of years ago. So I came from Canada and I went to business school there and did a finance degree. And one of my professors suggested I go do an MBA in arts administration because I had spent a lot of time in the art department when I wasn't in business school. And I got an information interview at the Canadian Opera Company in Toronto and they hired me. And I hadn't quite seen an opera before. They hired me in the marketing department to be the first and only ever marketing analyst. And I went to opera and I just fell in love with it. It was a brand new Mm -hmm. production of Madama Butterfly and it had Yoko Watanabe in the title role. And I went to the general director immediately thereafter and said, okay, this opera thing, it's got something going on. So can can I learn it? His name was Brian Dickey and he basically let me work in each of the artistic departments in the company over a four-year period while I maintained being the director of marketing. And so it was a a love affair and a hands-on experience simultaneously. And what an initial alignment, uh, given that you really had no experience with opera beforehand. Yeah, well, I I I was the math guy. They At the time, they were trying to figure out how they were going to move from what was then the O'Keefe Center to a new ballet opera house and so they kind of hired me to run regression analysis and do a whole bunch of math to sort of figure out how they were going to grow their audience but along the way i fell in love with it and they saw that i had an affinity for it and i had a talent 
for marketing in addition to just my calculator. And so I was made the director of marketing. And it just really from, I started in the industry trying to connect artists and audiences. It was like where I started. And I think that's really defined my career in many ways. And in connecting artists and audiences, culture and the arts have really an inspiring tradition for getting us through some of the gravest times. What was it like for you as the head of a major cultural institution when the pandemic hit? Uh, And what role do you see for Opera Philadelphia within this reality? It was surreal. There's no real way to describe it. I mean, for me, the greatest moment of my work is when I stand in a theater like the Academy of Music with 200 people, hopefully, hopefully sold out, um, (laughs) (laughs) in the audience. And, you know, there's upwards of 70 people on stage and 60 in the orchestra pit. And I love standing actually either behind or in what they call one of the press boxes. Um, The press box is my favorite spot because it's right at the opening of the stage. So I can see the performers, I can see the orchestra, and I can see the audience. And that interplay, because it's not just the audience watching the performance, the performers are giving something to the audience. And the audience actually has to respond and send energy back. And that's just such a, it's kind of the most exciting part. So when science says you can't do that, (laughs) (laughs) you're kind of in trouble. And it turns out that opera is, I think the term is that we're super spreaders, that opera performers express droplets over longer than six feet for long duration. Um, in close proximity to one another. So the first thing that my heart stopped thinking about is like, how are we going to protect the artist? Everyone else is talking about the audience. And of course, I care about the audience, but the act of operatic singing and performance is the exact opposite of safety in COVID. So the first thing that we zeroed in on is what are we going to do for the audiences to protect them? And when we became clear that we couldn't do anything, we closed down the rest of the season and immediately started in dialogue with our audience and, and supporters and things. We were fortunate enough to get the PPP, so we were able to actually honor the bulk of the contracts of the artists that were displaced. But during that period, too, you just started to think about, hang on a second, this isn't a blip on the radar screen for the spring. We need to start thinking about this in a longer-term way. But to answer your question, that's how I initially felt. And it was such a crisis that you didn't even have time to feel bad about it, if you know what I mean. It's just, you just sort of went into, there was like an emergency response mechanism. But then once we got through that and we started looking at May, it was like, okay, now we got to reframe this and are we going to accept this as something that's going to be around for a while? And if we accept that, which I believe we've done, do we also accept that we're going to be a changed people on the other side of it? And as mentioned, on your leadership, the company established the Festival O in 2017. So as you mentioned, and you've been talking about like the longer term and your perspective going forward, what's it been like to transform a production like this to an online event as now the digital Festival O with free on-demand streams of past productions and other initiatives? Yeah, so we've bifurcated it. So in the spring, we did Digital Festival O, which was basically taking work that we had 
done in our festival in the previous falls, we had captured almost all the new work in high quality archival video. And so we were able to present that for free for the public through a YouTube platform. And really, that was to keep a presence while we were not producing our production of Butterfly in the Academy of Music. But also, we were concerned about our festival this fall not being able to be happening. And we wanted to start experiencing what it was like to work with people digitally. And we learned a whole bunch of things. We learned that people fatigue easily of watching cameras pointed at stages. So capturing the live experience and putting it online for most people creates a fatigue in that. And it doesn't, it reminds them of what they're missing. It doesn't fulfill them in the same way that the live performance does. And so we started thinking about if we're going to continue in the digital age and if our fall festival is not going to happen, which was very clear, it's not, that we then create, we're now in the process of creating the Opera Philadelphia channel. So it's fabulous to be talking to the Philadelphia channel. Uh-huh. <laughs> With our with our modified uh, our modified word in front of it, um, and really what that is about is actually creating work for the screen. So creating original work that can be produced COVID safe, that is intended to be consumed and represented on a screen. So that it's kind of like if you gave HBO the keys to the opera company, what would they do? And the idea is, is that on our channel, there will be a program that gets added to the channel every month. And it'll stay on the channel for the whole season. So there'll be a whole season of work, which will equal our artistic output ordinarily with our festival and our academy season. But it'll be done digitally and spread out and it'll be specific for that screen. So the idea is, is hopefully when you're watching it at home on your TV that you can put up through Apple TV or Chromecast or Amazon Fire, that when you watch the show, you're just touched. You're like, I'm re- that was super meaningful. I'm really glad I experienced that. And you don't think about it as being, I wish I'd seen it in the theater because it's just not available now. So we're trying to curate that. We're working with film people instead of opera directors, that sort of stuff. And that all came about this learning that we did with the digital Digital O Festival. Yeah, and about that and about watching from home as the Broad Street Review expressed, from the safety and comfort of your couch, you can explore why Opera Philadelphia has become one of the notable purveyors in the classical music arena. To that, I say bravo, and I certainly echo those words. Oh, thank you. Great. And, you know, we got wonderful response from that digital festival on two fronts. We had a lot of Philadelphians revisit those works for a second or third time. We saw Philadelphians that didn't get to see it. And then we saw a lot of people from outside Philadelphia that, for whatever reason, couldn't get to our festival in the falls. And we now have a broader digital audience. And I'm so glad that the new work and the people that have created it have found a larger audience with that, with that festival. And talking about the streaming platform, the Opera Philadelphia channel, what sort of undertaking is it to implement such a project in a relatively short time? It's, I think the technical word is banana. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the technical you word. Know, yes. you, you, <laughs> you know, you take an, a, a company and as you noted in your introduction, we really highly evolved the company into being a, an important voice in the operatic world and an important voice in the cultural community in Philadelphia, and everything was geared to live performance. 
And in fact, our whole festival was about creating like a Netflix binge watching experience, but in real life and live performance. So to take all that practice and within three to four months to basically become the HBO of Auburn, to become a, a television producer, essentially, meant that we had to take all of our great casting and artistic skills, reimagine it, and then we've had to hire and bring in other people on the film side that we wouldn't ordinarily use. And thankfully, we've dabbled in a lot of digital stuff along the way. So we we had a, a roster of people we could bring in. But it does feel like you're reinventing company that you, you know, five years ago, you'd already reinvented and you thought you were done with reinvention. <laughs> <laughs> you're now sort of reinventing it. And I think what will end up happening, certainly this is our intention, is that the Opera Philadelphia channel will remain in place even when we're allowed to gather again. And so what might come out of this pandemic closure is a return to the Academy, which we certainly foresee, a return to the festival, and that this Digital Opera Philadelphia channel will be a way for us to have another exploration of opera that is different than those other things. And for that, if we can end up in that, with that triumvirate of programming streams, I think we would be set up to encourage as many people as humanly possible to experience the power of opera. And about that reinventing you spoke of, tell us more about your digital commissions for short pieces that can be performed really without a full orchestra and paired with filmmakers and visual artists for the channel. So there'll be four commissions as part of the channel for this season. Opera takes a long time to write, so they're not going to be full operas because that usually takes us three to four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as we've just discussed, yeah. this has been sort of revised in the last month or two. So they will be of shorter duration, probably be about 15 minutes. And what we're wanting to do is create an hour-long program that really gives you, the viewer, an insight into these composers. And you not only get to hear their music, but you'll get to see them creating their work. You'll be able to hear them talk about their work after it. So almost like a behind-the-lens programming format. And so the hope is, is that you will, as people, uh, viewers in the channel, be able to be introduced to four composers you didn't know before, because none of them will have been commissioned by us yet. And that you'll get a deeper understanding of their work and them as people through the channel. And the intention is, is that we would ultimately commission some of them to do operas. I mean, this would be your, your appetizer before the, the, main, the main course. And along those lines, tell us about your current composer in residence, what he's working on. Yeah, Taishan Sori is a brilliant young-ish composer. He won the MacArthur Genius Award two years ago. He's just been appointed to faculty at University of Pennsylvania, but that happened after he was appointed our composer in residence. So we we feel some sort of badge (laughs) (laughs) or get a medal for bringing Taishan to Philly. He has been largely a jazz artist. He's a percussionist by trade and composer. And he actually, we commissioned him to write Cycles of My Being for Larry Brownlee which we produced at the Perlman Theater here in Philadelphia and then at Carnegie Hall, and then it went on to Lear Copper Chicago. And it's a song cycle about being a Black man in America, as Larry is one of the most noted tenors of our day and is of African-American descent. And through that process, we discovered that Taishan had a real 
knack for writing for the classically trained voice. So his residency is exploring the classically trained voice, and he will be one of the digital commissions that we do as part of his residency will be part of the channel. And then from that, our intention is, is that we will discover what he needs to do next, which we think is going to be an opera. That's great to hear. And while you're talking, I'm thinking as well about uh, your outreach activities, your education initiatives. And you launched in 1989 in collaboration with the School District of Philadelphia, Opera Philadelphia's Sounds of Learning programs, which address the gap in arts education and access in the greater Philadelphia region. The programs reached almost 180,000 students through an intensive in-school literacy-based music education program that includes opportunities to see a live opera performance. So tell us more about Sounds of Learning and can it effectively continue during the pandemic? Uh, And what are your plans for it going forward? Yeah, we're deeply committed to the Sounds of Learning. It's one of our signature community programs and it will just continue to grow. And it has grown. In fact, it's so oversubscribed with students coming into the academy that we've now augmented it with teaching artists in the schools. So that if somebody can't get in that year to an actual performance, that we are providing an arts education link. And because you can only fit so many people in the dress rehearsals over the course of a season. What we're doing for the pandemic is we're going online. We have archival footage of operas. And so we picked three of them, all of the sounds of learning curriculum. So our sounds of learning program is tied to curriculum. And so it actually is used by teachers to meet teaching goals. And so all the curriculum guides are going online, that teacher training is going online, and students will be able to participate in pre-performance activities, as well as view the works online. And that's been a big pivot that our people that work in education have had to do in like two months. Thankfully, we had a number, we have archive from Opera on the Mall, we have a, a number of archival videos of the standard canon, which is what we tend to focus on in this particular program. Mm. And what are some of those specific teacher goals? It ranges, but what we try to do is basically build a, a curriculum guide that can be used across the curriculum. So there can be geography lessons, there's geography opponent, there's math about creating the set, there's culture and sociology and language, and then there's music, of course. So the intention is, is that whatever teaching goals that the teacher has across the common curriculum, they can use opera and the sounds of learning to advance those in an interesting way that also introduces the students to, in the past, live performance, in this case, digital performance of operatic work. And, you know, they're the best audience. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of stage speeches because I think people should just come into the theater and they should just watch the magic. Uh, so the only time I really get on stage is when I have to announce if a singer is not well, which I don't like doing very often, and I haven't had to. But the, the one time I do is I consistently stand on stage and greet the students that come to our dress rehearsals. And the little secret is, is that they're the best audience. They laugh harder when it's time to laugh. They cry when people kiss. They go, ooh. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, and at the end, when the soprano, the heroine walks on stage, it's like Lady Gaga walked into the room or something. Um, they blow the roof off the place. And, and they sit there for three hours, wrapped. We've never had, I've been here since 2006, 
in those years, the thousands, tens and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids that have been through, we've never had a behavior or disruption problem in the audience. Mm. And we are exclusively dealing with Philadelphia school district schools. It's great to hear this kind of response that you've had. And as a corollary to education, as indicated on your website, classical music and opera companies continue to struggle with diversity, equity, and inclusion on our stages and in our administrations. We can and must give voice to the traditionally voiceless on our stage. Meaningful change begins with awareness. We must now develop and implement a plan for sustained, effective action. Tell us how that plan's taking shape. I'm so glad you asked this question. So we've established uh, an inclusion committee that is comprised of our staff across departments and uh, both um, African-American and Caucasian staff. It also includes a number of board members. And we are working right now on creating a equity charter that we will embrace as a company. And from that charter, we will start learning education and training about anti-racism and giving voice to the voiceless across all of our professional staff, our artists, and our board. So right now, we're just in the process of that deep learning and that deep understanding about how institutions like ours can put up barriers to certain voices being heard, and we're working, the charter will help us lower those. Certainly, on our stage, we've practiced colorblind casting, We've commissioned We Shall Not Be Moved. We've commissioned Charlie Parker's Yardbird. And we've given artists of color, both performer and, uh, and composers, some opportunities. So we're, our plan is to look beyond that so that we can actually take that spirit into the actual day-to-day work of the company. Mm, it's so great to hear and obviously crucial. Well, especially in Philadelphia, one of our key goals is that we want to make sure our institution represents the community we serve. And so in Philadelphia, that means that there are residents of the city that have traditionally been welcomed in the classical musical world, and we want to make sure that that happens. Mm. And for the arts, fundraising is always a central challenge. So beyond the ability to take your programming online, what else has Opera Philadelphia done to stay front and center for patrons and donors? Right now, it's it's kind of all digital all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but even through the channel, we will have donor events and engagement activities that will happen through our community uh, department and our education department and our development department online around each of the things that we're doing. We've also we do a monthly newsletter, and I spend a lot of time on the phone, as does a lot of our leadership, and we've just reached out to our many supporters and. Ask them if they'll be with us on this next chapter and in this next year, given the challenges that we're all facing. And they have all responded that they're very thankful that we're trying to keep music alive. I mean, certainly in these times of challenge, um, we do need our, our hearts and our souls touched. And so, you know, good old fashioned picking up the phone is another way we're staying in touch with people. <laughs> mm. Having our hearts and souls touched, giving voice to the voiceless, lowering barriers, colorblind casting. And on these keynotes, uh, listeners can find out more online at operafilla.org and on social media. David, all the best to you and the entire Opera Philadelphia team with your vital activities. Well, thank you so much. And this has been just a beautiful opportunity to share what we're doing. And thank you for your work and making sure that Philadelphia is connected to things 
that are about and of meaning to Philadelphia. So we're very happy to be in partnership with you. And likewise. Access, stream, and download the Philadelphia Channel bi-weekly, part of the International Innovate podcast series on PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, iTunes, and online at innovatepodcast.org. On behalf of the Philadelphia Channel team and our collaborators, good to have you join us. 